The wait for Series 7 of the Lawyers Coach podcast is nearly over. It begins on Monday the 17th of April and Claire Rayson and Oliver Hansard, both of whom are coaches and former lawyers, will be quizzing various experts about the billable hour, the marmite of legal. It's something that is not only central to the way that firms are run, but it's also criticised for driving inefficiencies and has even been cited as a cause of cultural ills. But before that drops, why not have a listen to some of our back catalogue? In episode five of season four, Oliver spoke to Pamela Cohn in an edition called Sustainable Legal. Pamela works with firm leaders to address the growing expectations of all stakeholders, clients, prospects, employees, recruits and communities around their firm's social impact and sustainability programmes. She spoke to Oliver about what that entails and about what firms should be focused on. My entire career prior to focusing on ESG was in marketing and communications, always in professional service firms, accounting firms, law firms, and then most recently, 15 years as the chief marketing officer at a global actuarial consulting firm called Milliman. So what happened is, and anybody who's in marketing and business development and professional service firms will recognize this, but when you started to get very pointed and deliberate questions from clients about what we were doing with respect to social impact and sustainability. And as an actuarial firm, Milliman's clients are global and multinational insurance companies and financial institutions. And when you think about it, it it really wasn't surprising. Sorry, we're having a thunderstorm pass through my area, so you may be hearing thunder. I can hear it. Yeah, it's quite dramatic. It's made the, this episode very dramatic. Fantastic. <laughs> um, since insurance companies have been feeling the financial implications of climate change for years already, when you think about it, it doesn't. It shouldn't surprise us that they were among the first to take steps towards more aggressive social impact and sustainability practices. And they expected the same of their providers, their service providers, their suppliers, their vendors, et cetera. So when these questions started to get more serious, we did our best to respond, um, but didn't really dedicate any resources to our program. Uh, A lot was happening organically, we're a very decentralized company, 70 offices around the globe, and nobody was tracking on a global basis. Um, and that worked for a while, but eventually we actually lost an existing client because our responses on the social impact and sustainability section of the questionnaire were insufficient to meet their standards. <laughs> and that's, wow. When, wow. that's when the firm got serious. And I stepped- demand. Yeah. Exactly. I stepped out of the CMO role. They sent me back to grad school. I got a degree in social <laughs> impact and sustainability. Um, and I have been, I'm still working with them part-time to build their program. Um, but also am uh, the founder and CEO of Amity Advisory because I anticipated that other professional service firms, law firms and accounting firms were also going to start seeing these questions and client pressure, and frankly, I think are ill-prepared to respond. 
So that's why I started Amity Advisory. Fascinating. So I'm sure you would then say this isn't a fad. This is here for good. This is something that all law firms, professional service firms need to take seriously. Yes, it absolutely is not a fad. In fact, I think it's accelerating and I think it will be the new way of doing business going forward. Um, I, I heard somebody describe it as, you know, we had the industrial revolution, which completely changed the world. We had the technology revolution, which completely changed the world. And now we have, you know, the green revolution or the sustainability revolution, whatever you want to call it. It is completely changing the world. And I think the pandemic has accelerated that change. So if I'm in a, in a professional services firm and I'm thinking, I really start, need to start thinking about that my ESG approach, what does good look like? What, what should yes. a good direction of travel be? Yes, but the advice I always give firms is take an inventory of what you're already doing. And by that, I mean, what are you already doing with respect to sustainability? What are you already doing with respect to your social programs, your diversity and inclusion programs? And what are you already doing with respect to the type of work you do for clients? I think what most professional service firms fail to include when they think about ESG is their actual client work. When in fact, the impact you are having on society is much, much greater in the work you are doing for clients than in your charitable giving or your day of service programs or your recycling programs. Um, so don't forget to include in your ESG assessment the work you are doing for clients. So what might that look like? Give me, give me some examples and clues as to what that might look like. You mean on the on the client work? Yeah, side? yeah, yeah. Because oh, sure. that's a, that's a, that's a, that, oh, sure. that's a way of thinking. I have a, you know, I, I have. Yes. Well, and there's two sides of the coin, as you can imagine, right? So the good side of the coin would be, oh, we work to help finance wind farms to produce renewable energy, okay. or we work with our clients to develop healthcare clinics, um, you know, in municipal areas. We do real estate transactions, and the most recent one we did was um, for the city to establish a public art park. Um, you know, don't forget to look at the work you're doing for clients. Okay, so it's and the nature of the client in, in those examples. Exactly. So okay. on the other side of the coin uh, would be things like, well, we represent fossil fuel companies in lobbying against regulation. So, so you can't ignore your impact on society that your actual client work is having. Because it's exponentially greater than anything you could do um, in what most people consider CSR, right? Okay. And so there's almost like an equation, right? It's, it's, it's to look at, at the your client portfolio and balance out the, the positives versus mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the negatives in, in, in very broad terms. Yes. And then I would also say that because all companies right now are going through this transition around ESG, law firms can be incredibly helpful in, in guiding and advising their clients on how to do that. Right. In fact, I, I just posted on LinkedIn last week about a project in 
based in London, but it's a global project called the Chancery Lane Project, where lawyers are establishing um, clauses and templates and other tools that any lawyer in the world can use that will help account for and consider the climate in corporate clauses, corporate contracts, real estate transactions, et cetera. So, so um, everything lawyers do ha has the potential to affect change towards a greener economy. And you sound optimistic by that. You, you sound really optimistic about the, the, the role that the, the legal profession can take in, in, in sustainability. I absolutely am optimistic. And I think I'm even more optimistic now than I was when I started my business. Because when I started my business three years ago, four years ago, it still was a, oh, wouldn't it be nice sort of dream. I think with the pandemic and, and frankly, the ramifications of climate change that the whole world is feeling, I think people have realized there's a huge sense of urgency here and it's no longer optional and we have to move quickly. So I am definitely optimistic that um, we have turned the corner and you know, certainly in the UK and the EU, we're, we're even seeing regulatory movement we're not quite there yet in the U.S., but I, again, am hopeful that the Biden administration will be able to move quickly on that as well. Because if even if people don't do this because it's the right thing to do, regulations will drive behavior. <laughs> um, right. And I'm seeing it right. in the world already. And so if I'm a um, senior partner in a law firm or COO in a, an accountancy firm, where should this be on my list of priorities? Oh, it has to be top, I think. Um, and it cannot be, as I think we have dealt with this in the past, sort of relegated to a committee of interested employee volunteers. Right. Um, this has to be a board issue. It has to be a strategic issue. It has to drive every decision of your company and or the work you're doing for your clients. Um, absolutely, it's front and center. It's... I, you know, I'm repeating myself, but it's no longer optional. It has to drive decisions. So I've got a, a budget for the year and I want to see return on investment to every line of that budget. How can I demonstrate the return on investment in the way I spend for ESG? Um, first of all, there's always the cost of doing nothing as my example where Milliman lost a client because you know we we weren't acting in a sufficient manner in their eyes. Um, so there's always the cost of doing nothing, but there's a huge business opportunity here as well. So for me, the ROI for law firms and accounting firms is a whole new revenue stream with their clients. But in order to be credible when you're out there talking to your clients about ESG, you better have your own ESG program in order. So, right. so the, the, re, the investment is what can we as a company do differently and better to make sure that our business model is sustainable and viable long-term? And therefore, how can we help our clients do the same? It is the source of all revenue. <laughs> But there must be pitfalls, right? There must be pitfalls to somebody embarking on this journey. 
you know what what kind of you know what kind of watch outs can you can you give somebody new to this this yeah I, i i think the biggest pitfall is what is often referred to as greenwashing you know, let's say we're doing it, but let's not really do it. (laughs) You know, let's say that we're going to be net zero by 2040 or 2050, but let's not make any difficult decisions to help us get there. Um, You know, I had one client say to me, well, what is it going to take to get to net zero? And I'm like, well, do you know what your baseline greenhouse gas emissions are? No. Um, Would you be willing to reduce your travel by half? No. Would you be willing to, you know, um, all those sorts of questions, firms are going to have to make really tough decisions if they want to align with the Paris climate targets of one and a half degrees and and get to net zero by 2050. Um, Companies are going to have to make some tough decisions. So I think that the biggest pitfall is pretending. And I usually say that if a company isn't committed, your employees will see through that in about 30 minutes and your clients will see through it in about 30 days and it's going to do more harm than good. And, and that's the real pitfall, right? Is, yeah. is that, you know, you're turned on internally by, the, by your employees who, you know, the next generation will demand that. And the same goes with the, with your client base. Yes. And, and, and I think we need to be careful about where this sits in your organization. Um, so if ESG is housed under HR or your human resources department, it's going to seem like, oh, we're just doing this to appease employees. Right. If it is housed under marketing, then people are going to perceive it as, oh, this is just a marketing ploy. If it is housed under the legal department, then it's going to be, ah, well, we're just doing compliance. So I'm a strong advocate for it being a standalone department. It can be a department of one, but a standalone department that is the hub of pulling together all of those elements into a cohesive, holistic program. Um, I had one general counsel say to me, I don't even read the social impact reports of my law firms. I ask them three questions. Who's in charge of your ESG? To whom do they report? And where do they sit in the organization? And he said, the answers to those questions tell me everything I need to know about whether or not that law firm is serious about its ESG commitments. Fascinating. Uh, and in that respect, it's it's a change program. Yes, and it's a change program that that needs to report directly into the top with with you know no indirect lines of reporting right. to right. get things done. Right, and in fact, many companies are now um, they either have a position on their board or they have a subcommittee of the board, task force of the board that focuses on ESG and it's a standing agenda item. Right, right. And, and so do you think a business needs to be brave to, to approach it in that way and probably invest um, ahead of those returns to have that kind of structure? Mm. Brave or smart? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've said this before, I don't think it's a choice any longer. 
It used to be perhaps a choice and it used to be a differentiator. Now I think it's just table stakes. Um, it's the cost of doing business. It's, it's just like, okay, I'll give you two examples. It's just like diversity and inclusion was a decade ago. Initially, it was a differentiator and now it's just assumed and it's the cost of doing business and you better be committed. Um, the other example I often use is um, data security. I remember when clients first started asking firms about their data security procedures and most firms were like, well, we do this and we do that. Um, and you know that's no longer sufficient. You have to have a very robust data security program in place to even survive in the business world today. And I, I think the same thing will come true and is coming true with respect to ESG. It is just the assumed behavior and, and there's a huge cost to doing nothing. That far outweighs. Yes. Uh, far outweighs the upside and the, and the risks. You know, yes. Got it. And so you talk about going from transactional to transformational. Do you want to put a bit of, mm -hmm. bit of, mm -hmm. bit of flesh on, on the bones of that? Yes. Ambition? So, so transactional is, I think, what most of us have seen in our business careers. Um, companies will do some sort of community event or they'll do a holiday gift drive in December to help, you know, homeless shelters, or they'll build a Habitat for Humanity House uh, project once a year. All of those are really, really good things. But they're very one-off, very transactional. Okay. What, I, what I have seen be much more transformational is when companies use their highest and best skills to affect long-term change. My favorite example is Cisco Canada. Cisco makes technology equipment, high-definition video conferencing. They piloted a program which brought their high-definition video conferencing equipment into the indigenous villages in northern Canada so that educators from around Canada could contribute to the curriculum in those indigenous village schools. They piloted one program, partnered with broadband providers, of course, because they had to get the, the internet to those villages. Um, and it has been so successful that it is now um, in, I think almost every indigenous school in, in Northern Canada, and it is collaborative in nature because they're partnering with many different companies in order to provide these resources. Core to their business, right? That high definition technology is what they're all about and consistent with their purpose, which is everybody, the internet should reach everybody. So that is a transformational program. It's not a one-off. It's not one day of service every year. It's not cutting a check at the end of every year. It is part and parcel to who they are and what they do. So that's my favorite example to use. And so what would that, what, how would that example bear out in a big city law firm? How could they mm -hmm. demonstrate that transformation? Well, in many respects, we've seen it recently through the pandemic um, and with some of the social and racial unrest that we've experienced here in the United States. Um, immediately, 
there were programs and groups of law firms that got together to um, encourage access to justice issues or to ensure racial justice issues. They started working on some of these cases. They and, and it was pro bono, but you know they they immediately um, formed coalitions to help do some of that work. Uh, another example would be, um, and again these are U.S. examples. Another example would be um, when immigration, initially in the Trump administration, when uh, immigration was an issue, there were a number of law firms that. Um, worked together to make sure that immigrants were getting proper representation and so forth. That is using their highest and best skills, addressing a social problem of great need. And, you know, it's not planting trees in a park on a Saturday, which is important, but the highest and best skills of, of lawyers is, is to do legal work. Um, and the, the Chancery Lane example is another example of lawyers using their highest and best skills to affect societal change. So I love your optimism. I love your passion. I love your passion. What's it going to feel like when the professional services industry, and particularly the legal profession, is really taking this seriously and, 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 it, and is in flow with this? Well, I would like to think that... Um, it will feel like this is what we are supposed to be doing. I have talked to many, many lawyers who said, you know, I went to law school because I wanted to make a difference, but now I'm working in big law and all I'm doing is churning hours for large corporations. And, you know, I, I mean, you've, you've heard about it. I've heard about it and seen it, this huge burnout problem amongst lawyers. And yes, it's, it's from hard work, but I think in some respects it's from, working on things that they didn't think they were going to be working on. Um, and if, in fact, the work that law firms do and that lawyers do is ultimately helping all stakeholders, not just shareholders, and they're making a difference in improving the world and improving society, that's got to feel better than if you feel you're just churning your wheels in order to bill hours without, without feeling good about the outcome. So it's about the right work. Exactly. Not just the amount of work. Yep. I, I believe that's true. I absolutely believe that's true. If, if law firms purpose is to help their clients be more viable and sustainable in the long term for our generation and for future generations, then the type of work I'm doing to get my clients there has got to be incredibly rewarding. And so it, how, do we, how do we play our part, everybody involved in the legal industry and professional services? Now, what, what three things would you say to everybody involved and in listening to this to, to get this, this higher up the agenda and, and more transformational rather than transactional? Mm -hmm. Um. I would encourage lawyers to act as trusted advisors, not just order takers, right? So trusted advisors would be saying to your client, you know, client, we've been doing things this way for decades. 
but look at what's coming. Look at what changes we need to make in order to um, make sure we're sustainable and viable long-term. And here's how I can help you get there. Um, and I would say that's true no matter who you're representing. So even if you're representing fossil fuel companies, fossil fuel companies have a huge transition in front of them. Who's going to help them make that to make sure that they're sustainable and viable going forward? Um, because when I use the word sustainable, I'm not just talking about being green. I'm talking about how is that company still going to be in business in five years and 10 years from now? Yep. So be a trusted advisor to your client and help them make the transition. Um, the second thing I would do is um, as a firm yourself, make sure your firm management and your firm executives understand that this has to be core to your business as well. Um, it can't be just let's advise our clients, but we don't care about our firm's carbon footprint. We don't care about what we're doing with respect to sustainability or viability. I mean, it has to be core to your business as well. And then the third thing, and I think this is the one of the most rewarding parts about this industry is be collaborative, reach out and work with others towards mutual goals. Um, I used to, you know, I was in marketing for most of my career and it's a great career, but it's also a very competitive role. You, you don't really feel like you can share with colleagues at your counterpart organizations or what have you, because there's a competitive issue with, with ESG we all win if we all win. So, so it is an incredibly collaborative way to do business. And to me, that is heartwarming and rewarding. And um, you get a lot of um, self-satisfaction and a lot of progress when you can collaborate and work with lots of other organizations and entities towards the greater good. Pam, I've really enjoyed talking to you. You're more than a stage. You're a legend. Thank you very much for being on Thank the Lawyers Coach podcast. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much, Oliver. It was my pleasure for sure. That was Oliver Hansard talking to Pamela Cohn. Once again, Series 7 of Lawyers Coach gets underway on Monday, the 17th of April, with the theme being the billable hour. Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part, then please visit lawyercoach.co.uk for details. You can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn page, Lawyers Coach. And if there are any topics you'd like us to discuss, then please get in touch.